Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Well, good morning, C2. It's great to worship with you this morning. I'm Pastor Jeremy. I'm really excited about tonight. Not only our membership class discovered C2 at 4 o'clock, love for you to join us then, but our, our prayer and worship tonight at 6 p.m., led by our Chi Alpha uh, students, and we're really excited about that. So take time tonight to join us at 6. Don't forget to sign up for our week of prayer, our 24 hours of prayer coverage throughout the next week. We started this morning, and uh, if you want to sign up, go to c2church.com, where all of the information, activities, everything that's going on, you can find that there. Click on the uh, week of prayer, and it'll take you to sign up genius. You can sign up for one slot or, or the recurring slots throughout the week. We also have a table in the foyer. And out of that table, you can sign up. But you can also pick up this book called Praying with Confidence, a great book that I think you can use throughout the year to lead you into a deeper prayer life. I have certainly enjoyed using this book throughout the last year and, uh, and starting it again and really enjoy using it. They're $5. We made it available at that price just for you. If we, ha- if we don't have any left, I know there was just a few left after first service this morning, uh, you can either sign up to order one or you can certainly go online and find it. It's called Praying with Confidence. And it won't be as cheap online, but uh, certainly we'll give to get to you quicker probably that way. So as we talk through setting the atmosphere for the best year ever, are you having the best year ever so far? All right. Well, that's good. I like to hear that. We've used the Lord's Prayer as, as the, the, our guide to really launch the best year ever. We, we, we believe that you start it with prayer, with the presence of God. And so we've talked about setting that atmosphere. And the Lord's Prayer has been the structure for us as Jesus taught us how to pray. We believe that's how you set the atmosphere, how you change the atmosphere is with the presence of God. And that starts with prayer. He set the atmosphere through His for his presence through worship and through prayer. It's this prayer, as Jesus started, our Father who is in heaven. It's the relationship with the Father God. Holy and hallowed are you in your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, here on earth as it is done in heaven. That sets the atmosphere. God, that your will would be done perfectly here in my life. The next part of it is, give us today our daily bread. Not just provision for my physical needs, but give me the spiritual bread of life that nourishes my soul. Last week, we talked about forgive us as we forgive. The aspect of grace that Jesus does for us what we could not do for ourselves. That his actions on the cross, his perfect life, his suffering and his death provide grace for us to step back into relationship with God. It frees us from the debt that we owe God. And as we pray this prayer, it's either a blessing or a curse. Forgive me as I forgive. So if I don't forgive, the Lord will not forgive me. But Lord, forgive me as I release those who have debts with me, those who I have been offended by, hurt by. I release the debt they owe to me. And today, as we talk about the next Part. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What are we praying when we say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? Is God really leading us to be tempted? Is he the one that is tempting us, as some people might surmise from the, the English version of this? What does it really have to do with? 
Let me start you with this thought and, and carry this through this morning. That, lead, that when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, it's really about a matter of affection. It really is a matter of affection. That we are led to the things that we love, that we desire. We react in the same manner through difficult circumstances. Set your affection. R.K. Hughes, the theologian, wrote in his book, The Sermon on the Mount, the six petitions of the Lord's Prayer are structured like a ladder. The top three rungs are in heaven, having to do with God's fatherhood and his name. The next rung down concerns God's kingdom. The third, his will. The next three rungs descend to earth as we pray for daily bread, forgiveness, and finally protection from evil. On the ladder of the Lord's Prayer, we descend from contemplation of who God is, our Father, to who we are, sinful children. Proper prayer includes praying for spiritual protection. This final petition has two requests. The first negative, lead us not into temptation. And the second, the positive, but deliver us from the evil one. What really then is this prayer temptation? I think properly understood, you could look at the word temptation in several ways. Temptation to sin. My desires for something other than God. Or another translation of the word temptation is a test or a trial. That life circumstances, whether from my own decisions or from decisions made by others or the happenstances of life, that in those tests and trials of life, I would not be led to act or react outside of God's will. I would not seek my own, but that which God would have for me. James chapter 1 outlines for us this about temptation in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is lured away and enticed. And after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to to death. So when it comes to temptation to, my, to, to seek my own desires, it's coming from within. This is what uh, John Calvin says, that it comes from the right as though it were riches, powers, and honors that I seek, this desire for self from within. The Bible refers to as our flesh. It's temptation in the traditional sense that it's our own desires that lead us down the wrong paths. Paul the Apostle wrote to the church in Galatia in chapter 5 of, of Galatians. He's, Paul says to them, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh or the temptations of the flesh. For the flesh desires and craves what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are opposed to one another. This is the battle that wages. He goes on in the book of Romans. Paul writes to the church in Romans, verse 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 18. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh, for I have, I have desire to do what is good, but I'm not doing it. I cannot carry it out, he says. And then he lays out this treaty of how there are things that I know I should do, and I really want to do that which is 
good and pleasing to the Lord, but it's so difficult to do sometimes. And yet the things that I know I shouldn't do that lead me astray, those are the things I find myself doing. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this flesh? He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Therein lies our hope. Calvin would go on to say, it's not only from the right where it's, it's riches and power and, and honors and fame, but he says, from the left, those circumstances may be outside of my control, whether it be poverty or disgrace or contempt or affliction, suffering or persecution. These are the tests and trials of life, the tribulations that come from outside. Both the adversity of the mind and the body, the circumstances and situations you may find yourself in. So the temptations and the trials are not just the bad things, the bad actions we take in life, but really it's seeking something that is not God or that will take the place of God. And John Calvin would go on and say, both prosperity and adversity are sore tests that can bring its own set of enticements away from trusting in God. A few sentences before we, we pray, lead us not into temptation. We pray... Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. So what happens when my will runs up against God's will? This is where we pray. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us away from our own desires, our tendency to set our affection on the instant, on the temporary, on the physical, on things which we can see, control that which we have our own power to do? Isn't that what this is all about, is where our affection is set? Because when our our temptation comes, our affection turns away from God, His goodness, His promises. Even things that are meant for good can lead us astray. I think of times where, as a youth pastor, I I led worship uh, for the youth band, and sometimes in, in big church. This is big church, by the way. And my affection was for really good music. Song would just, you know, man, it would just engage everybody. And my affection, sometimes, though, I would say, God, it's all for you and your glory. But I really kind of want people to come up to me afterwards and go, wow, that was awesome, Pastor Jeremy. (laughs) And my affections were turned sideways. Even in our prayers, sometimes our affections can turn sideways when we don't get what we think we want and need. And our affection turns to the answer instead of the answer giver, Jesus. It's in those moments of temptation and of trial, of of testing, where our affections are revealed. And so our affection for a pain-free life. Anybody want a pain-free life? Right? We desire that. And so when pain comes, we want to relieve it. Whether by, by substance or relationship or some other escape instead of turning our affection to Jesus. Our affection for earthly pleasures more than God's presence in our life. Our affection for material possessions or relationships over God himself. Our our affection for power and recognition of people over the recognition and the power of God in our lives. This morning, my challenge for you, set your affection in the right place. Paul writes to the church 
In Colossus, he says this in Colossians 3, 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. I like the imagery and the words that the King James Version gives us. Set your affection on things above. Takes us back to the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in where? Heaven. Heaven's up, right? Isn't that kind of how we think, right? Things that are not tied down to this earth, this temporary place. Tie my affections to where they draw me towards you, Jesus. Set my affection. It really is set your affection. The thought is that the whole practical bent of my thought and my disposition, my character, my attitude is is my affection. And that it's set, my heart and my mind are set on something. And where my affection is set, that's where my life will go. That's how my actions will reveal it. Set your mind on the things above. goes on to say, instead of the things of earth. Things of earth are not necessarily sinful. But they become so when we seek them and we, we think about them. They're preferred over the things of God. That my first thought is for other things rather than what God would desire. In, this, in the scriptures, it's sort of this battlefield of what my natural inclinations and instincts are and that which is spirit-led by God. And there's this constant battle of the flesh and the spirit. Now, one can be absorbed both in the earthly cares and pleasures of this world, but also in the power to solve my own problems, in the power, my own power to overcome sin. So I say, well, I'm just going to close my eyes and I'm not going to talk to anybody that's not a Christian and I'm just going to, and I'm not going to, and, and so we, we look at our own power to control that. And yet, that's not the same as relying on God. Now, certainly we should run from sin. Run from that which would tempt you to sin. That is our part, but it's the grace of God and our affection set on Him that will cause us to run from sin rather than just saying, well, I don't want to go there. You can't run towards sin and run towards God at the same time. So set your affection on God, and you will be drawn there. When you set your affection on the things of this earth, you will be drawn there. Temptation is not a sin. Simply being tested is not a sin. That you find yourself desiring for things of this world, we're meant to enjoy the things of the world. What God created, but not so that it controls us or leads us away from God. And when you're tested and tried in the circumstances of life, the Bible says, Rejoice in that. For the testing of your faith leads to perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so you can be complete, whole, not lacking anything. And so there seems to be this conflict. How do I pray that God lead me not into temptation or tests or trials? And yet he says, take joy in the testing of your faith. You see the incongruent? See there? 
And yet I don't think it's incongruent at all. Because my prayer is, Lord, lead me not into temptation. I I don't want to go through the temptation of life. And I don't want to be tested by the circumstances that may come my way. But if I do, Lord, but if I do, Lord, if I find myself tempted, lead me past them, straight to you. Lead me through the valley of death. Lead me through the temptation that I may not give in. And though the pains of life will come, Lord, don't let it test me to the point where I trip and fall and I forsake your name and fail to bring glory to you. Save us from that testing, but lead us on, Lord. Lead us on. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, shortly before his crucifixion, knelt in prayer and in anguish, the Bible says, that he, and he prayed this prayer. He said, Father, take this cup of suffering from me. Do you see Jesus' humanity on display there? He is being tempted to escape. Lord, take this from me, yet not my will. Yours be done. May the will of the Father bring glory to his name and not what I think is best. Do you ever think that the hard thing you're going through might be the very thing God is going to use to bring glory to his name? That he is refining you as if by fire? So when you look at the temptation and you want to shrink back, oh, I can't handle that. Oh, yes, you can. The grace has already been given to you. The way has already been made. Now walk in it. As we'll continue to discover. Listen, 1 Corinthians, when Paul writes to the church in in Corinth, he says this in uh, chapter 10, verse 12. If you think you are standing strong, think again. Be careful not to fall. He says the temptations of your life are no different than what everyone else experiences. And God is faithful. Do you see how he couples that together? What you're suffering, whether in the temptations of your own natural desires or the testing of your faith in the circumstances of life, is not unlike everybody else is experiencing. And God is faithful to lead you through that. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. But when you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. Now listen, church, this is is not as many people have, have claimed that God will never let you, he'll never give you something uh, that's greater than your ability to handle it. That's not what that scripture says. Life will give you things beyond your ability to handle them. Okay? Life will throw you a curveball that you cannot hit. Get a bigger bat. God has provided a way through Jesus. It's called grace. He can do in and through you what you cannot do for yourself. Mm, I'm going to start preaching now. (laughs) He will show you a way out. I'm confused by that last part, though, so that you can endure. I'm thinking about escaping, and yet he's saying it. I'm going to give you strength. So when you stand up underneath that thing that's about to crush you, 
that temptation that you just don't think you can say no to or that circumstance that you just want to give into, his spirit rises up in you. I mean, I just like one of them movies where the Hulk just presses up underneath a huge car or something and you rise up above the circumstance. Why is that a good thing? Because it brings glory to the name of Christ. Now, how come that situation didn't crush you? Mm, The grace of Jesus. How do you find the strength to endure, to overcome the temptation, the addiction? The grace of Jesus. He's made a way. I'm just walking in it. He's already blazed the trail. I'm just following. Lead me, Lord. Lead me not into the things that I would naturally want to do, but that which is of you, from you, and for your name. This is our prayer. And there's a heavenly answer, the Bible says. Lead me. Deliver me. I'm in need of wisdom and guidance and discernment and deliverance. Now, love what theologian D.A. Carson says. He says, the Lord's model prayer here ends with a petition that while implicitly recognizing our own helplessness, Before the devil, whom Jesus alone can vanquish, delights to trust the heavenly Father for deliverance from the devil's strengths and wiles. The reality is, the end of that prayer, deliver us from the evil one. There is an enemy of your soul. There is an enemy of your soul. And while your own temptations may lead you one way, there is also an enemy who has come against you. Don't be so silly as to think that when you committed your life to Christ, the devil didn't go, oh, no, they didn't. He comes against the Lord and his people, his children. Those who want to draw close to God, would you not think that it might become harder? Well, pastor, I started praying a week ago and life just, oh, man, everything just got hard. Well, why do you think that is? The devil didn't notice you last week. You ain't doing nothing. He noticed you this week. He noticed that you got up 15 minutes earlier. He noticed that you cracked open the scripture and blew the dust off it. He took notice. But don't lose heart. Who's overcome the world? Oh, who's overcome the world? That's right. He made the way through grace. So just walk in it. Jesus himself was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 4. If you've got your scripture, open it up, turn it on. It'll be on the screen. The Bible says that after he was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the evil one. You, you scratch your head at that one? The Spirit of God leads the Son of God to be tempted by the enemy of God. And yet it's because of this moment you and I have hope. You and I have a high priest who can identify with our weaknesses, who can identify with our struggles and our temptations, yet did not give in, who was sinless. In this we see our perfect example. This was com- these temptations are common. Let's take a look at these temptations because this is what is common to man and Jesus was fully God yet fully man. And the Lord would provide a way out. These are the three temptations. Provision and pleasure, which I consider kind of one. Power, the second. And pride, the third. Look at the first test. Satan came to Jesus and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 
some fast food right there. Now, understand, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. See, all right now are like, oh, Pastor, hurry up. It's lunchtime right now. I can't make it another moment. Endure. You can make it. Jesus went 40 days without food. And it's in his weakest moment that Satan comes to tempt. Satan, he knows strategy. He comes to you in your weakest moment. So here Jesus says, hadn't eaten for 40 days. Satan says, there's a stone on the ground. Turn it to bread. <clears throat> oh, right? Your instinct. Yeah, okay. Jesus said, no, it is written. Take a look at what's going on here. Satan comes to him and says, if you are the son of God. Satan likes to throw questions your way. Now look at Eve in the Garden of Eden, the book of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible. Eve standing at the tree of knowledge and good and evil. What does Satan say? Did God really say that? Did he really say that to you? No, for real. Did he really say that? Are you sure? Well, I, I don't know. I can't remember. Did he really say not to touch any of the trees in the garden? Oh, no, I'm so confused. I don't even remember. Satan comes to Jesus. If you are the Son of God. Are you really the Son of God? Is God really good? I mean, you haven't eaten for 40 days. He hasn't given you jack squat to eat. And Jesus doesn't go to fulfill his physical needs in this moment. He says, it is written. The scriptures say, the very word of God says this. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If I'm going to feed on something, it's going to be the bread of life. Not going to be what I can provide for myself. And Jesus says, I am the Son of God, and I don't need to prove it to you. He answers with the Word of God. This is the lust of the flesh for provision and pleasure. My affection set on my ability to provide for myself. I have the power, I have the money, I have whatever it is, it's all mine. Switch that. Everything's God's. I don't need to provide for myself. The second one, Satan comes and says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself off the top of this building. And, and the Bible says that, that the Lord will command his angels to keep you from harming yourself. Well, that sounds brilliant. This is a power play on the part of Satan's. Prove that you're God's son. Prove that you're God's child. Show everybody. Make everybody marvel at your power. Prove you are the son of God. Just, just show us something, right? You'll find that throughout the Gospels, people saying, Jesus, if you just show yourself through a you know, sign, prove your relationship. I never want, and this is what Jesus' response is, I'm not going to presume to use God's power for my own selfish purposes, that others might stand back and marvel at me. They might... I might be remarkable in their eyes. This is the lust of the eyes to see my own power and use it for my own purposes so others can marvel at me. We sang it this morning. How marvelous is his love and his power. The temptation for us is to use our own control and give ourselves all the credit. Jesus answers, as it is written, do not test the Lord your God. 
Don't use his power for your own bidding. The last one was pride. It says that Satan took Jesus up to the highest mountain overlooking all of Jerusalem and probably most of Israel, the nation. And he says, hey, you can have all of this if you bow down to me. How many of you rent property? And you rent something, maybe pay the school for a room or something. It would be like you going to the owner of your rental property and say, hey, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut you a deal. You give me a couple hundred thousand dollars, I'll give you your apartment. But I already own it. Why would I, why would I do that? Satan's trying to play a trick. Hey, Jesus, if you just bow down to me, because the earth is mine. You just bow down to me, I'll, I'll give it to you. Jesus says, it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus doesn't need Satan's permission to rule his own kingdom. He says, it's already God's, and I'm his son. I'm not going to buy back what is already mine. I will not worship you. I will not bow down. And what about the circumstances of your own life? And the pride of rising up in you. He says, I can do this on my own. I'll make my own kingdom. No, Jesus says, his kingdom and his will. Worship him and serve him. That's the way of grace. Only grace can fix my affection heavenward. Only grace can fix my affection heavenward. The way has been made. Walk in it. The way of grace. We read that passage earlier of Colossians. Set your affections on things above. Paul would go on to say this after that. Set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden in Christ. Catch that. You have died. Only one person sits on the throne of your life. And if you're dead, who sits there? Jesus. When Christians make this reference to dying to self, have you ever heard people say that? Oh, sister, you just need to die to yourself. And you go, say what? It's this the reference. The life that I thought I wanted, it's dead, it's gone, doesn't exist. And I live the life that Christ wants for me. Now, at some point, those things might have intersected, and I might see the dreams that God gives me come true, but my affection is for him. It's not for my dreams. It's not for what I want. My affection leads me to do what he wants, his will. Paul would go, on to say this, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, because your affections aren't for the things of this world. They're going to pass away. And so has the person you used to be. If you're a young person, you're like, well, well, what did I used to be? I'm only like 13. <laughs> you're at the perfect age, young person, to say, God, every day of the rest of my life is yours. Breathe in me your will and 
your dreams and your desires that I might walk in them for your glory. How does this happen? How do I walk in the way of grace? I'll say it and say it again. Set the atmosphere through prayer. Use the Lord's prayer as as the skeleton of your prayers. Take time each day set aside to recognize the presence of God that's already in your life and the power made available to you. The way has been made through grace. Now walk in it. And through worship. Join us tonight. It's going to be a great night to learn more about worship, not only as a corporate body, a group, but personally, I believe it will give you tools to walk through a personal aspect of prayer and worship. You have to feed on the steady word of God, the bread of God. A steady diet of God's word. Not just on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week, seeking what God might say to you. Scripture says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. I think that talks about affection again. When I fix my eyes on Jesus... He's going to lead me through temptation and the trials and the tests of life. He will make it possible. That scripture goes on to say, For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. What was the joy set before him? The affection of the Father. That was the joy set before him. See, everything else in your life starts to pale in comparison to the greatness of God and the goodness of God and the glory of God and the pleasure that is God. When you begin to bask in His presence, you wait in His presence. I can't do that for you. You have to do it on your own. You want to fix your marriage? You want a better marriage? Don't don't fix your eyes on having a better marriage. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Set your affection on Jesus first. It's not that human affection is wrong. It's set your affection on Jesus first and see what he can do. You want better finances? Set your affection on Jesus first. He said it this way. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, not earth. Does that mean I don't budget? No, you got to budget and be a good steward of your money. Twelve lattes a day going to break the bank. Manage your money well, but put God first. Tithe. Be generous. You start seeing God work in awesome ways when you start giving away your heart. I mean your money. Right? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Put your affections on Jesus. I like what Matthew Henry says in his commentary. It is better to live poorly upon the fruits of God's goodness than live plentiful upon the products of my own sin. Oh, I want to read that once. You want to be free from addiction, from those those life-controlling habits. I know what some of you think. I'm not addicted to anything. But what controls you? What's the thing that in your spare time you seek? When you're happy, you seek. When you're sad, you seek. When you're angry, you go to that. When you're hurt, you go to that thing. You want to be free and see what Jesus might do? Set your affection on him. 
Set your affection on him so you can have lasting victory, so you can, have, so you can be an overcomer. Does that mean you don't seek help? No, seek help. But set your affection on Jesus first. Therein lies the power to walk through temptation. Would you stand with me this morning? You want to persevere and overcome in your situations? Set your affection on Jesus. A way has been made through grace because of Jesus. Now walk in that way of grace. God has provided, this is what grace is, God has provided a way for you that you could not provide for yourself. This morning, church, would you close your eyes and bow your heads in this holy moment? Perhaps you're here for the first time this morning and you've never placed your faith in Christ and in Christ alone. You've never set your affection on him But today, the Holy Spirit of God is calling to you. He's wooing you. He's drawing you in. And right now, you know you need to respond to this question. Are my affections set on Jesus? And right now, you know you need to respond. You know that's you. Your heart's beating a little faster because you know I'm talking to you. That God is talking to you. And in this moment, in this safe place of a a building filled with people who have made the same decision, would you humble yourself and say, yes, pastor, that's me. I want to place my faith in Christ Jesus and him alone. In just a second, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. We're not going to embarrass you, but we, your church who loves you, are going to pray with you as you begin this journey of faith. If that's you, would you raise your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Three all over this room. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. I see your hand in the back and over here in the middle. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Raise it up high. Anybody else? Thank you. Over here on your right, I see you. I see you. I see you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? And church, in this holy moment, we're going to pray with all those who are making the decision to follow Christ with their life, would you repeat this prayer out loud with them and with me? Say, praying this, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your son Jesus who lived the perfect life that I could not live, who suffered in my place and died on the cross to pay my sin debt. But thank you that he rose again to give me new life and forgiveness and grace. Help me to walk in that grace all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And church, can I pray with you real quick? Maybe you, like me, you look at your feebleness and your weakness. And today resonated with you that God would lead you above temptation to set your mind and your affection on his ways. If that's you this morning and it's resonating with you, I'm going to lift both my hands in this moment. Father, you see my weakness, and yet you've made a way. And in my weakness, your strength is made perfect. And so I will not glory in that weakness, but I will submit it to you so that your strength may bring you glory. For your glory and my good. And for all your people this morning who are looking at their own trying circumstances, their own weakness against temptation, Father, you have made a way. Now fill them with your Holy Spirit's power. 
empower them to walk above the temptation and above the circumstances, to walk empowered to bring the life-giving gospel, the message of Jesus to a lost and dying and dark world. Would you empower them now as they go to bed tonight thinking of you, setting their affections even in the last waking moments of the day and setting their affections the first thing they do when they wake up. Would you empower them to walk in your presence and in your power by your spirit? It's in Jesus' name. If you believe it this morning, say amen, church. Amen. Amen. Would you give a round of applause for all those who made that decision today? Welcome home. Welcome home. If you made that decision today, would you take a moment to fill out the connection card? It's in the chair back in front of you. Just mark the appropriate box and the information. Take it to our connection center. We've got a great free gift for you and a Bible that will get you started on your journey. We love you. Look forward to seeing you back here tonight at 4 for our Discover C2 membership class or 6 p.m. for prayer and worship. Have a great afternoon. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.